if you've ever heard of a guy called Dean Sherman. Anyone ever heard of Dean Sherman? Big in YWAM, youth of the mission circles for years and years. And he made this statement and um, it sort of stuck in my head all night last night and I woke up with it and it made me feel good. And he said that, you know, the Bible makes a statement that every good and perfect gift comes from God. God is inherently in who he is good. He just is. He's just good. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter what God is doing in my life. It doesn't matter what I'm facing. It doesn't matter whether, even if for a season, God is disciplining and training me and dealing with me in areas. Guess what? It's all coming from the very core of a being who is 100% absolutely, totally good. God's not two-faced. He's only got one face. And it's a good face. Isn't that great? It's a great thought. I went to bed last night feeling happy thinking about that and woke up this morning feeling happy. It has nothing to do with my message, but I just thought it made me feel happy. So be happy, people. If you've got a Bible there, uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible there, how do you know I'm telling you the truth? I could be fibbing. Don't trust me, trust God. Take what I say. Be a Berean. Be a Berean Christian. Heard what Paul preached and then search the scriptures daily to make sure what he said was true. If they weren't 100% able, if they didn't want to take Paul's word for it, I'm not going to put myself up there with him. He had a bit more revelation than me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3. You know, it's about to become the new year. Yay! <laughs> Who gets excited about new years? Okay, there's two types of people who stay up late at New Year's Eve, right? There's, there's, I used to, I mean, me and Jackie, I don't know, what's the latest we stay up these days? It's pretty hard now, I, I'm just too tired. But I remember when I was younger uh, and I had a bit more life and energy and that and you'd stay up till midnight and you'd count in the, the 10, 9, all that sort of jazz, you know? Um, yeah, there are two reasons why people do that. There are some people who are doing that because they're so excited about seeing the new year in with all its opportunities and a fresh clean blackboard and slate to start with. But then there are also people who stay up late just to make sure the old year actually goes, okay? Because it wasn't a great one. I just want to make sure that you do slip out the back door and that when I wake up tomorrow, it is going to be a a different year. But we have this tradition, this thing called New Year's resolutions and people make them and, and, um, you know, uh, all over the world, people make these things called New Year's resolutions. I was Googling the other day the top 10 New Year's resolutions that people make. Um, and I'll tell you what they were. Number one was lose weight. I'm just reading them as they're here, people. Okay, don't. Uh, second one was to get organised, get their life organised. That's probably me. Um, third was to spend less and save more. The fourth, enjoy life to the fullest. I like that one. That's a good one. Fifth one was to stay fit and healthy. Now, the assumption there is that you already are fit and healthy because otherwise you can't stay there. You've got to get there in the first place. Number six was learn something exciting. Something exciting. Learn about how a rotary engine works or how a, 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 a dress is sewn together or something. Just learn something exciting. The next one was quit smoking. Number seven. Number eight, help others in their dreams. I like that one too. I think that's a great one. Help others in their dreams. I'm going to talk a little bit about something that relates to that this morning. Number nine was to fall in love. Number ten, spend more time with family. Yeah, the top ten 
New Year's resolutions in a couple of days' time, they are those ten things will be the most thought about things on people's minds as the new year approaches us. You know what? Only 8% of people statistically have success with New Year's resolutions. Over 4 billion people are going to make New Year's resolutions in a few days and about 8% of people will see those things come to pass. Perhaps the best summary of a New Year's resolution is something I found on, on the internet the other day on somebody's Facebook page and it said this, My goal for 2016 is to accomplish the goals of 2015 which I should have done in 2014 because I promised them in 2013 and started planning them in 2012. And that, I think, sums up most people's New Year's resolutions. It's the same thing, it's a fresh start and, you know, most people have success with their New Year's resolutions for 14 days. True. For 14 days we go hard and we succeed and we're, we're, we're living the dream and making the changes for 14 days. On the 15th day, statistically, most people begin to settle back into old habits, old ways, old lifestyles. A lot of it has to do with the way we think, renewing our mind. I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions because I've been around long enough to realise that a changing date on a calendar has never changed a human being. A changing date on a calendar is not enough to change you. It's not something that gives you an ability or a capacity to break habits or to become a different person or to do any of these things. A date change won't make you spend time with your family. It won't make you quit smoking. It won't make you get fit. It can't make you lose weight. It's simply a date change on a calendar. Nothing more, nothing less. After about 14 days, most people fall back into their old habits and their ways. We mean well, our intentions are good, we're sincere in our desires, But after a couple of weeks, we find ourselves depleted and we're running on empty again. Now, what happened? Why is that the case? It's very simple. It's not profound. It's this thing called life. Life happens around us. Stuff happens to us. There are situations that we find ourselves in. Circumstances we find ourselves confronted with. We end up running on empty. There are all kinds of things that have the potential to deplete your tank and to rob from you. Family hassles. Everybody knows if you have a family, you'll have hassles. It's just part and parcel of having a family. There are ups, there are downs. There are job troubles. If you have a job, you will have problems. It's just a fact of life. There's no uh, job. You know, People think if I could just quit this job and get this job over here, it would be so much different. I've had a few jobs in my time and I've found that every one of them has great aspects to it, but every one of them also have pressures. It doesn't matter what the job is, There's going to be parts of it you love and eventually there's going to be parts of that that become mundane and boring and you don't like them. Relational issues. Anybody that's ever been in a relationship or is in a relationship will know that relationships have issues. Relationships have problems. Relationships have uh, things, stumbling blocks, where we need to come together and we need to nut through certain things. When me and Jackie got married, our pre-marriage counsellor made this statement to us. He said, if you ever meet any couple that say they've never had an argument, he said, you're probably looking at a very shallow relationship. Because the truth of human nature is the more you get to know each other, the more you butt and grate and grind and rub off on each other and so on. And so relationship issues, financial struggles. If you live in a world where finances are important, and that's the world we all live in, 
We all have financial issues, financial struggles, things we need to face. Health problems. Some of us have got things going on in our bodies that shouldn't be there, but they're there at the moment for whatever reason. Some of us have got those things under control. Some of us don't have them under control. We don't know what the answers are. And that's before we look that step further into the spiritual realm and look at the pressures and the opposition and the things that come against us in that realm as well. So there are a lot of things that get thrown at us that deplete our tank. There are a lot of things that come up against us to try to suck life and try to, to suck energy out of us. Job 14.1 says, Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Anyone know the story of Job? He faced a fair bit of trouble and a fair bit of struggle. He came out the other end though. He kept his focus on God. Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death better than the day of birth. The day of death better than the day of birth. People in the Bible went through difficult times. One thing I love about the Bible is it doesn't try to sugarcoat its hero's existence. It doesn't try to take the humanity out of the story. You know, you read the Psalms and you can see David going through moments of deep depression and doubt and frustration. Job went through it. The Apostle Paul got to a point in his life at one stage there where he said, I don't know if I want to be here anymore, I'd rather die. Great men and women of God have had their tank depleted, have ended up running on empty, have had stuff come against them. It's just a part of life. There's an old story about a pastor who left the church and at his farewell dinner he tried to encourage one of the pillar members, don't be so sad, the next pastor might be better than me. Well, that's what they said last time, but it keeps getting worse. I'm sure that didn't build him up. Even world changers have their share of battles to fight. During world, during the war years, Winston Churchill, who was very respected for his great oratory ability and his speeches in Parliament, by most people except for one woman, there was a backbencher, a lady that didn't like him. And during one of his speeches, she used to interject. And on one occasion, she called out, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. To which he replied, and if you were my wife, I'd drink it. (laughs) Nice comeback, Winston. Like all other areas of life, though, God actually has answers for us. God has ways to refill our tank. God has ways to motivate us. God has ways to get us through and to pick us up. And I want to talk this morning about one of those ways. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 says this, Beware... Brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 12 exhorts us to beware. To beware of what? Beware of developing areas of unbelief in our world. This does not only speak of intentionally walking away from a relationship with God, but also of retreating from God's way of doing things and living out our life in specific areas. It's not just about saying, well, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore and not be with God. It's about different areas and aspects of our life where it just gets too difficult and too hard and so we go, well, I'll just take the easy road in this area of life and I'll just back off a little bit from what I know to be right, the principles that I know are God's, the way I know the word of God tells me to handle this situation. I'll just back off in that area a little bit. This is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. We can choose bitterness instead of forgiveness. How many of you know it's easier to get bitter than it is to forgive? It's almost like 
It's natural for many of us in those sort of situations when you're confronted with a circumstance that needs one of those two responses. Bitterness is the easier one. Forgiveness is more difficult. But how many of you know God wants us to be able to forgive? We can choose selfishness instead of selflessness. We live in a world that is I, 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 and I'm not stuttering. It's I, I, me. The world revolves around me. Who remembers that ad several years ago for the most important person in the world? You. Remember that ad? No? Somebody's got to remember. You remember that? I can't remember what it was for. I don't know if it was a health fund or what, but it, that was the slogan. For the most important person in the world. You. And that kind of sums up the mentality of this modern Western world that we live in. The world revolves around us. One of the things I tear my hair out about at Christmas is Christmas is meant to be a joyful time of reflection. December 25th is not the day that Jesus was born. We know that. Historically, they don't really know exactly what day he was born. Most most, uh, historians will say it was somewhere between January and April. But we don't know an exact date. But there was a Roman emperor called Constantine, first Roman emperor to become a Christian, got saved. And there was, during winter, there used to be a lot of pagan festivals. So Constantine said, well, now that we've got these Christians here, we need to give them something to celebrate while the pagans are having their pagan festivals. And so December 25th was chosen as the day that we would celebrate the birth of Christ. It should be about the birth of Christ. I can't stand walking into a shop and seeing a mother or a father or a brother, or a sister, or somebody, stressing because they don't have enough money to buy the perfect gift to give to a person on Christmas. I just think, how out of whack is the world? How wrong is it that people feel pressured? Parents go into amazing amounts of debt to try to satisfy their children who are being brought up in a world that says, it's all about you, it's all about you, it's all about you. Christmas list, this big, and the cheapest thing's $500 on a Christmas list, you know? It's not what it's about, but it's the world we live in where selfishness, self-centeredness is praised. It's promoted. Think about you first. I'm not saying be so selfless that you don't think about yourself, but when we get in those situations where we need to choose a response, we either be selfless or selfish, it's much more natural to my human nature to be selfish than it is selfless. But yet God still calls me to live a selfless life. We can choose stinginess over generosity. We can choose hatred instead of love. We can choose revenge instead of blessing. When we're confronted with those situations in life that need one of those two responses, do I take revenge or do I bless? Bless those who curse you. Speak well of those who speak bad about you. The principles of God, the way that we live life on this earth is different than the natural way that the world promotes life to be lived. And there are areas, if we're not careful, where it can be easy to go, you know what, I can can be selfless, I can be generous, but forgiving that person, I just can't. I just can't do that. And so we need something to help us in those areas. We need something to come along and motivate us and give us the strength and give us the fuel in our tank to do what's right. Remember, we've talked a lot about freedom in the last six months. Christ came to set us free. What is freedom? It is not the opportunity to do whatever you want. Freedom is the God-given ability to do what is right in any given situation. That's true freedom, to be truly human 
to be able to forgive when I don't want to. That's not easy to do. And without the help of the Holy Spirit, that's a very difficult task. But God empowers us and wants us to do that. He wants us to live that way. There are these and there are many other things, day-to-day issues we find ourselves wrestling with. And notice the plural usage in that as well. Beware, brethren, lest in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. He's not just saying to you, just personally reflect about yourself. He's saying beware lest it be in anyone. Look out for each other. Be aware of what's going on around you. Be aware of where other people are at. Verse 12 reveals a warning and verse 13 gives us the answer. And it's very simple. He says, but exhort one another daily or encourage one another daily. You know, there's not many things the Bible specifically tells you to do every day. There's not a lot of things that the word of God encourages us to do every day. But it's encouraging us here to encourage one another every day. Look for reasons to encourage each other every day. Be aware and look for reasons and look for opportunities to encourage one another. Encouragement is something we all need, though many of us might not like to admit it, but we do. Deep down, we're all like the little boy who said to his father, let's play darts together, Daddy. I'll throw and you say wonderful shot. I'll throw and you encourage me, Daddy. You tell me that was a great shot. Deep down inside, there's something in us that wants encouragement. It's a God-given thing. And it's a call upon each of our lives. You know, people say, you know, what's the call of God on my life? And I don't, well, the Bible's full of things that you don't need the Holy Spirit to give you a dream and a vision and show you. Encourage one another daily. It's something we should all be doing. Encouraging one another. So what's, what is encouragement? The root word of encourage simply means this. It means to put courage in. It literally means to put courage in. When I encourage you, I'm literally putting courage in you. When I encourage you in the midst of a difficult situation, I'm literally putting courage inside of you that you can do this. You can make it through this situation. You can survive what's happening right now. You can be the best. You can succeed. You can achieve. When I encourage you, I'm literally pouring courage inside of you. By adopting this understanding through our lives, we move from simply being consumers in the Christian world to being producers. We become instruments God uses to help catapult people into all that he has for them. Isn't that a great opportunity? You can be the difference between somebody succeeding and somebody not. Just by speaking encouragement to them. You could be the difference between somebody falling down and somebody remaining on their feet. Simply by encouraging them. Working with God to put courage into that person. It's a joint working between God and myself, God and you, where we get to partake in that opportunity to build somebody up, to push them forward, to give them the strength they need to overcome, to give them the strength they need so that they can be the 8% who this year make it with their resolutions. What do you want to do? What do you want next year to look like? Not just what do you want it to look like, who do you want to be next year? What sort of person do you want to be next year? What sort of mother do you want to be next year? 
What sort of father do you want to be next year? What sort of brother, sister, child? What sort of Christian do you want to be next year? You know, I'll play a role in helping you get there through my encouragement. We all play a role in helping each other get there through encouragement, through putting courage inside each other. It's a little bit like starting a car. Anyone ever got a flat battery? Had a flat battery and and, and it's a bit hard now because of the, the, the computers in cars. You can't just jump start like in the old days. But I remember when I got my first car, my dad bought me a Triumph 2000. Anyone know Triumph 2000? El Trumpy. Yep. And he bought it for $50. 50 bucks. He tweaked a few things, did it up, and that was my first ever car. Uh, most kids were getting uh, Tiranas and all the... And I got my Triumph. But it was okay. I didn't care. It was mine. And it was a regular occurrence that my battery would die. And I'd ring up Dad. He was working at the um, Shell service station in West Bowen. I didn't have mobile phones back then. I'd have to go to a payphone, ring up Dad. Dad, my battery's flat. Dad had come along with his car. We'd pop the bonnets. He'd get the cables. He'd connect the cables up on his, connect them up on mine. He would start his engine, rev it up a bit. And after about 20 seconds, I'd start up mine. And I would draw power out of his battery into my battery. And that's a great analogy A great picture of what the Bible means when it says encourage. That's what encouragement is. It's taking power and it's putting power into another dead battery. It's empowering people. It's putting the Holy Spirit... I'm not saying you're a dead battery, by the way, Pat. Okay? Well, not anymore. (laughs) No such thing as dead batteries. Not in the kingdom of God. But it's that same principle of taking what's inside of you in the Spirit of God and empowering other people. That's what encouragement does. That's what we do when we encourage people. It injects courage into people. When I encourage you, I'm effectively saying to you, I believe in you. I believe in you. You know, people don't hear that a lot anymore. The world is not an encouraging place anymore. People aren't out there encouraging. I go to work and I do the best I can, but you know what? The world in which we live in still says, rather than say to you, that was a fantastic job, they're looking going, you could do more. Okay, if you can do it that good now, that means you should be able to go quicker next time. If you can do achieve this now, then you should be able to achieve more next time. The world is not wired towards encouraging you. It's more like Pharaoh on his horse whipping you and driving you like a slave driver. More, 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 more. And I wonder how many people fall by the wayside because there's nobody in their world ever get alongside of them and put a bit of courage back in them, encourage them and say, you know what, I believe in you. I believe that you can do this. I believe you can achieve that. You know, um, most people don't believe in themselves and that's just the reality of life, even in the church. We put smiles on our faces and we put our mask on and we come along to church and we sing our songs. But deep down inside, how many people actually believe in themselves? Most people don't. Most of us don't. We need people to come along and inject courage into us, believe in us, build us up, lift us up, empower us to make it through those difficult situations. I believe you can handle this problem. I believe you can do that job. And do it really, really well. I believe you can break that habit. You and God, you're a majority. I believe you can break that habit this year. I believe you can pass that exam. Be the best, whatever it is, that you 
want to become. I believe you can succeed in that new business venture that you've got. I believe you can. You and God. I believe you can do it. We speak courage into people. Robert Schuller, who pastors the Crystal Cathedral over in the States, tells a story about a banker who always tossed a coin in the cup of a legless beggar who sat on the street outside the bank. Unlike most people, though, the banker would always insist on getting one of the pencils the man had sitting next to him. You are a merchant, the banker would say to him, and I always expect to receive good value from merchants I do business with. One day, the legless man was not on the sidewalk. Time passed and the banker forgot about him until he walked into a public building and there in the concession stand sat the former beggar. He was obviously the owner of his own small business now. I've always hoped you might come by someday, he said. You are largely responsible for me being here. You kept telling me that I was a merchant. I started thinking of myself that way instead of a beggar receiving gifts. I started selling pencils, lots of them. You gave me self-respect and caused me to look at myself differently. And that's what we do when we encourage people. You know, there are people all around you that are sitting there thinking, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'll never be, I'll never achieve, I can't get out of this cycle, I can't go beyond, I can't. And they're waiting for people to speak life into them. They're waiting for people to speak courage into their spirit. Help break those cycles. You know, years ago, I was, I was brought up in a, in a non-Christian family. Um, I got saved when I was 19. And there was a man by the name of Roger McKnight who nobody in this room will probably ever get to meet. Wonderful, wonderful man of God. And I remember he said to me one day, why don't we get together once a week at lunchtime and we'll just chat. I'll just talk to you. and A bit of a mentoring relationship. And I started meeting with him. Now, I failed high school. Completely failed. I don't, I don't mean got low marks. I failed. I went right through to year 12 and back then they had what was called a... Um, a uh, uh, no, it wasn't. It was after the HSC. It was, it was a HSC, but the way they graded you was um, qu- uh, like quadrants. Like if you were in the top 2% of the state, you got 98. If you were in the top 30% of the state, you got a mark of 70. And that's how it worked. Once you got down to 25 it didn't go any lower. So anyone that got a 25 never actually knew how bad they went in their HSC. I was one of the 25ers, so I don't exactly know even how bad I went. I just know that I didn't make it into university uh, and that was the end of my sort of uh, education in terms of my brain, so I thought. I was meeting with this guy and we would sit and we would chat and he made a statement to me one day. We were talking about, about um, doing some theology training and going on and doing a bit more study and, of course, I failed high school. Why would I even think about studying anything, you know? And as we talked, he looked at me and he made this statement. He said, um, all he said to me was, you know, Alan, you're not dumb. You're not dumb. And I thought, no, I failed, I failed school. I, I, I pretty much classify and fit in that bracket of dumb with a mark of 25 out of 100. He said to me, no, you're not dumb at all. Maybe you just weren't passionate or interested in that stuff. But you're not dumb. You find something you're passionate about or interested in or whatever and, and apply yourself. You, you're actually a very intelligent young man. Nobody had ever said this to me my whole life. I'd never been called intelligent. Nobody had ever told me I wasn't dumb. Something clicked over on the inside of my spirit. And I'm very, very confident I wouldn't be 
standing where I am today and I wouldn't have had the years of experiences and opportunities I've had if it wasn't for this man speaking courage into me, breaking a mindset or a mentality off me by using encouragement and allowing me to see the future the way that God wanted me to see it. Allowing me to have the courage to embrace opportunities, to embrace new things and to run after that stuff. Encouraging people can change the course of a human being's life. I want you to have a think about the times in life where you've been struggling or the times where somebody has come and spoken a word of encouragement to you. You know what? I'll bet you most of the courage that's been put in you by other people, they probably didn't even realise the significance of it at the time. They had no idea, no idea how significant that moment was. But you know, because you're sitting here today, hopefully living in the blessing and the freedom and the creativity of whatever it was that was spoken over you. There's always something we can encourage people for. The truth about life is that difficulties rarely defeat people. Lack of faith in themselves is usually the problem. We stop short because we think we just don't have any more energy. We give up because we think we're not making progress. We slow down because we think the destination is too far and we're never going to make it. It's at those times where we need people to encourage and to speak courage into our life. The French World War II hero, Marshal Ferdinand Foch, who ended up at the end of World War I, became the commander-in-chief of the Allied forces. He said this, he said, there are no hopeless situations, there are only men and women who have grown hopeless about them. There are no hopeless situations, only men and women who have grown hopeless about them. And that's where encouragement can turn those situations around. It changes people. And changed people change situations and circumstances. There's always something we can encourage people in. If you compliment only perfection, then you've got the problem. If you're sitting back waiting for perfection to be able to compliment and encourage, then you need to have a look at yourself. Why? What is it about your background or your worldview? Anybody, anybody can encourage perfection and anybody can praise a winner. But can we encourage the person that ran last in the race? Can you find a way to encourage the person who lost the competition? Can you find a way to encourage the child who's not doing the right thing right now? Can you find a way to encourage the partner, the spouse, the whatever, who's not ticking all the boxes right now? It's amazing what encouragement can do. It's amazing the change encouragement can bring into people's lives. Jesus functioned like why do you think we're sitting here today? It's not because the disciples had great faith in God or the disciples had great faith in themselves or great faith in each other. It was because Jesus had great faith in them. Jesus had great faith in these 12 guys. They were not tested. They were not tried. When they did come under a bit of fire, most of them scattered. Most of them ran a mile. Some tried to go back to their old occupations, their old ways of life. But Jesus had faith in them. He had faith in them. He put courage in them. Anybody, anybody can praise a winner. Anybody. But as a church, we should be able to find things, find areas. We should have the vision to see, okay, 98% of that world might be crap. But there's a 2% there and you know what? I'm going to encourage the 2%. I'm going to speak life into that area. Sometimes we're way, way too well known for what we're against 
and what we don't like and not enough of what we do like and not enough of what we are for. You might be 95% what I don't stand for, but 5% what I do, I want to get alongside you, I want to encourage you in that because I know that when I encourage you, it puts power in you, power to change. And who knows, that 5% may grow into 10. It may grow into 20, it may grow into 30. The church does not exist because the disciples believed in Jesus, but because Jesus believed in the disciples. That's why we are here. Many people are waiting for someone to believe in them enough in order to help catapult them into the future God has for them. God has a future for people. He has a future for you. My New Year's resolution coming into 2016 is I want to encourage one another daily. That's, that's, that's my New Year's resolution. I want to be an encourager. I want to find ways to encourage my wife. I want to find ways to encourage my children. I want to find ways to encourage myself. I want to look for ways to encourage my friends. And I'm not just talking about those sitting in church. I've got a lot of friends outside of church. A lot of people we socialise with and a lot of people we hang out with. I want to find ways to encourage those people. Put courage into those people. I want to find ways to encourage my work colleagues. Those in my workplace. Because I live in a world that is geared towards discouragement. Amen? Discouragement is like putting a vacuum cleaner inside somebody and sucking the courage out. And when you have no courage, you achieve nothing. You achieve nothing. But when we encourage, we flick the reverse button and we put courage inside of people and we give people the ability to see the future the way that God wants them to see it. We encourage them to make right choices. People love encouragement. If they do this and get encouragement, what do you think they're going to do next time? You think they're going to go, well, I don't want to do that again. That felt terrible. They're going to do it again. And they're going to do it again. And they're going to, because people like to be encouraged. People like to be praised. You want your, 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 your world around you. You want your children to change. Focus on the good stuff. It doesn't mean the bad stuff's not there, but praise and encourage the good stuff. Maybe they'll get so excited about doing the good stuff because they love how it feels that they won't have any time to do the bad stuff anymore. Maybe it'll just disappear out of their world. Same with each other, same with your spouse, same with your friends, your husbands, your wives, your partners, your work colleagues. Let's be people who encourage because God is an encourager. You have a whole bunch of rubbish in your life right now, a whole bunch of things that are not pleasing to God. You know it, I know it. But God's not sitting there every day putting his finger on everything he doesn't like, grinding you into the ground. But you do this, you don't do that, you don't this, you don't that, you don't... You know what God does? He sits there and he cheers us on. He encourages us. He disciplines where necessary and so on, but he never does it devoid of encouragement. Because without encouragement, without courage inside of us, we will never reach our potential. And as a church, if we're not a church, a body of believers that encourage, then we are not helping people see the future the way God wants them to see it. We are not helping people be all that God wants them to be. And that's what we are called to do, to glorify God on planet Earth, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to point people towards the destiny that he has for them to point them towards the future that he has for them. That's our call. So my challenge, as you think about your New Year's resolutions, you do whatever you want, 
It's your life and it's going to be your new year. But I want to encourage you to tack onto there somewhere. Tack onto there somewhere. I want to be a daily encourager. And every day, look for reason to encourage. Don't wait for the reason to pop up like a blinding flashing light in front of you. Make a deliberate effort to look every day for a reason to encourage somebody. And let's see what sort of impact we can have on each other and what sort of impact we can have on our families and our work colleagues and our friends. And in turn, what sort of impact can we have on our community if we do that together as a group? Amen? Yep, is that good? Nice and easy. We're going to get out of here a bit early this morning. Father, I want to thank you, uh, Lord, once again for uh, what has been a, a great year. Lord, it's been busy, it's been hectic, but it's been a good time uh, together as a church. And Father, we look forward to the new year. God, we look forward to uh, all that you have for us, the journeys that you want to take us on, God, individually and also corporately. Father, we uh, just want to pray a blessing, God, upon every uh, person this morning in this region that's sitting in a church, that's worshipping you, that's loving you. God, we just pray your hand of protection upon them, God, as they get through this new year period. Father, we pray for hopes, for dreams, uh, God, for things to come to pass in people's lives. God, we pray uh, as a body in this region that we would raise up in 2016 in unity, in love, in grace, in mercy, in encouragement. Uh, and that, Father, we would be all that you want us to be in the region in which you've planted us, Father. Bless the rest of our day. Give us a great time a fellowship around the barbecue. Look after us as we travel home in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And what was that, Jackie? I got the lip thing. Jack? I got the lip thing. I didn't hear any sounds. No? All good? All good.